Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs. Normally this time of year we have our legislative briefing here in Jefferson City where we'll have a hundred or more people come into town and meet with their legislators at the Capitol and hear briefings uh, from our staff and from elected officials about what's going on in the state capitol and at the national level. This year with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, we've had to switch that up a little bit and we have decided to turn that into a series of briefings over the course of the next couple months. So between now and the end of the legislative session, we're going to bring a handful of different sessions of the legislative briefing to you. The first one of those was just this week. We finished it up on Thursday and uh, had a up to bringing people up to date on what's going on at the um, legislative and regulatory um, arenas with both the state and federal level. From our staff, we had Leslie Holloway, Spencer Tuma, and BJ Tanksley all give updates during their briefing sessions. And we also heard from President Garrett Hawkins, uh, his first opportunity to talk about legislation with um, in his new position as Missouri Farm Bureau President. Um, so if you weren't able to catch that, we are bringing that to you today as an edition of Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. Before we get to that, just make sure to keep an eye on your newsletters that we send out every Friday and on our social media for announcements about the next episodes of this uh, virtual annual meeting, our virtual legislative briefing um, series that we're going to be doing over the next few months. We'll have some announcements about that very soon. We'd like you to be sure to uh, join us for those live so that you can ask questions of the panelists and um, hopefully we'll be having information about that in the next couple of days. All right, we are going to bring you the first edition of our virtual legislative briefing series. I'm Eric Boll, Missouri Farm Bureau's Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy. I'd like to welcome you to the first installment of our 2021 virtual legislative briefing series. In a moment, I'll turn it over to our president, Garrett Hawkins, for some opening comments. And then we'll have Spencer Tuma, Leslie Holloway, and BJ Tanksley give updates on the work that they're doing at the state and federal level. We will then take questions from you. If you have a question, there are several different ways to ask them. If you're listening in on the telephone, get something ready to write with, because I'm gonna give you a number in a minute. But first, if you're watching on Zoom, you can just type your questions into the Q&A box anytime and we'll be reviewing those. And uh, if So again, if you're on Zoom, type them in the Q&A box. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can type your questions into the comment area uh, underneath the Facebook Live box there. And then lastly, if you are just listening to us on the telephone, you can text us your question at 573-326-4501. Again, that is 573 573- 326-4501. We look forward to taking your questions after the uh, initial comments, but um, if there's anything that you don't hear uh, clearly or want to go back and listen, um, the recording of this is going to be available on our Facebook page. So you can watch it anytime after this is over by going to Facebook and searching for Missouri Farm Bureau. We are also going to be putting this audio out as a podcast later today, so you can tune into our Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau podcast, available on all podcast platforms, to um, hear this recording later today. We're also going to put a link in tomorrow's newsletter 
where you can uh, reach this recording as well and watch it again. All right, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over now to our president, Garrett Hawkins. Thank you, Eric, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, from wherever you are joining us, uh, whether at home or whether you're at a county office or out and about running errands, thank you for taking time to either zoom in or call in. I'm loving already seeing some comments in the chat box of folks that are gathered together to, to join us today. I don't know about where you're at, but Chief's fever has swept over this building. I had hoped to be in full fan gear today for you, but thought maybe they wouldn't be the best thing. So I am donning the Chief's tie instead. Uh, but I ask uh, Spencer to help me today. There are a couple of Chief's memes that I have seen floating around. And I know some of you are big fans of memes on Facebook. Uh, these were actually shared by Carroll County leader, Ian Davidson, who is a huge fan of Chiefs memes. So for those of you that are phoning in, let me just give you the visual and read to you what they say. Uh, one shows a very disappointed, disgruntled Tom Brady saying, but I don't wanna play the Chiefs anymore. They're hurting my ears. Yeah, very appropriate. And then we have a back to the future, uh, movie poster that's been modified with Mahomes and Andy Reid uh, saying back to the Super Bowl. So again, I know you all are just as excited as I am and I'm proud. Um, you know, the Chiefs aren't just Missouri's team, but I think in many ways they're America's team and, and uh, it is exciting. So let me say again, thank you for tuning in. I know if you're anything like me, you are craving normal. And uh, since uh, the election and our virtual annual meeting on December 6th. I have been very anxious to get out and about and see you all. Uh, I know I've talked to some of you over the phone individually. I've joined you uh, over teleconference for county board meetings. I've done Zooms with collegiate farm bureaus. Uh, just know I am as anxious as you are to be back to normal and the plan is to be back to normal as quickly as we can. Uh, we're very much monitoring here in Jefferson City and the state capitol. BJ's keeping us apprised because clearly there have been some flexes in the schedule already thus far uh, due to COVID-19. So, so just know um, we are making plans to see you in person as soon as we can. But in the meantime, we thought these virtual or phone-in sessions would be a great intermediate step to keep you apprised in addition to the newsletter. So I, I think in many ways, if you've already read your Show Me magazine, uh, the winter edition, um, my first call on my pen was titled Resilient and Ready. And I think in so many ways, when you look back over this past year, agriculture and more specifically, Missouri Farm Bureau have shown extreme resilience, both within the membership as well as within the Farm Bureau workforce. And uh, truly we are ready, uh, I feel, to tackle anything that comes our way as, as we look ahead over the next few weeks. So let me say this, uh, as we, as we continue to schedule these virtual sessions where you can either watch or phone in, uh, the plan is that we are going to have key leaders just as we would at a normal uh, full board uh, legislative briefing. So you will hear from key members of the executive branch, uh, public officials, as well as elected officials, depending on what's brewing in the state capitol. Uh, we'll schedule those so that you have timely information and can ask uh, the important questions. 
As I take a step back uh, and, and think about the last couple of months, I want to thank you again for this incredible opportunity to, to bear the responsibility of shepherding this organization and the family of insurance companies. My family and I have been so grateful. Uh, we have enjoyed, uh, when Jennifer and the kids have been here and Jeff as well, uh, they have enjoyed uh, seeing longtime friends and employees and we're just incredibly grateful to, to have this chance. And I think you're gonna see over the weeks and months ahead, there are so many good things that are going on that are just building upon the strong foundation that was already here. So, you know, it's a busy time in Jefferson City in Washington, DC. I know you're staying abreast of what's going on in DC and the flurry of executive action that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Our staff are gonna to touch on those things and just know that your team as always is working hard to implement uh, the policies that, that you so deeply care about and, and have put in our policy book through the years. So speaking of policy, uh, you'll remember on December 6th at the virtual annual meeting uh, that the delegate body approved um, essentially eight hot button resolutions that had came through the policy process and ultimately the October meeting of the resolutions committee. Uh, these were separated out because of their, um, I guess, the necessity to either carry them to American Farm Bureau or to help us prepare for the state legislative session. These were approved uh, on block by voting delegates and were inserted into existing policies in the 2020 book. So taking these eight with all the existing policies, we have a policy book for 2021. And let me say this, uh, this uh, abbreviated or the end of, of policy uh, for 2021, um, while it was not ideal, um, clearly, you all have given us clear policy that we know to help us prioritize our activities, both state and federal. As we think ahead, though, just know that this is the time of year that we would be normally surfacing issues, talking about things, and that's going to continue. In fact, there was no hard stop to the policy development process. We're rolling on through the stop sign and going ahead and planning uh, for the robust process that we are known for. So, already getting members appointed to the state resolutions committee for 2021. Um, already, if you all have ideas of issues that really need to go through the process, make sure to be talking to us, talk to staff so that we can think through whether those issues need to be highlighted and talked about during open hearing in June. I want you to know that it will be a normal process and uh, we are looking forward to, to that and returning to, to normal. So in the meantime though, you can find the updated policy book online. Uh, so it is there. And finally, before I turn it to staff, uh, our legislative team, we have three members that you're going to hear from today. Um, the person that you're not going to hear from but is actually here in the room is Estel Fretwell. Estel has uh, graciously agreed to serve as our interim chief administrative officer. You all know Estel. You know the professional uh, uh, that he is and the heart that he has for Farm Bureau. And I have been extremely uh, grateful along with all the other staff to have Estel here in this interim basis until a permanent uh, CAO is, is named at some point in the future. So with that, I look forward to any questions that you may have for me. In the meantime, though, I want to kick it to Spencer Tuma, your Director of National Legislative Programs. 
Thanks, Garrett. Sorry, I was having trouble unmuting there. Uh, it seems like that's a very common problem with Zoom right now. Um, so give me just a minute and I will get the PowerPoint up on the screen. Appreciate everybody bearing with us as we navigate all this new technology. Um, so I just want to touch really briefly on things with the new administration, of course, in Washington. I'm sure that everybody has seen the news over the past several weeks, and there's certainly been no shortage of things to discuss uh, in Washington, D.C. And I know Leslie's going to touch on several uh, regulatory related actions as well. Kind of a quick update on the state of play in Washington. So Congress's kind of first priority or, or main priority after the new administration took office has been to pass an additional stimulus or COVID-19 relief package, whatever, whatever you choose to call it. It has a lot of names uh, right now. Um, so the goal of that is to address those who are most heavily impacted by the pandemic. Now, last week, the Biden administration did propose a stimulus plan uh, that has a very, very large price tag. Um, some Senate Republicans, I think there are about 10 of them, have countered with a proposal that's about one third of the cost. Um, as you all know, things change in Washington about every five minutes. I read a news report this morning that said they were gonna go with the Biden plan. And then I read another report about 10 minutes later that said they were going to try to negotiate a lower price tag. So um, it's unclear at this time, uh, the, the, the ball is really in the court of the United States Senate. That's really where this decision will likely be made because the margin of Republicans to Democrats is so thin. Um, the House of Representatives is likely going to approve any plan that the Biden administration puts forward because of their margin. Um, but right now it's unclear whether Senate Democrats who are in control of the Senate will attempt to move the Biden plan through through a process which is called reconciliation, which only requires a, a majority vote to pass the bill, or if they will go through regular order and have to meet a higher threshold in order to uh, negotiate that deal. So we're paying a lot of attention to that. Uh, most of those issues are related to stimulus payments, unemployment, and liability protections, which I know BJ is going to touch on as well. Um, but moving on, a big part of COVID relief was the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, which was actually implemented last spring under the CARES Act, which passed in late March to early April. Um, I've been getting a lot of calls from members who have been really, really concerned about some of the headlines we've seen about the CFAP program over the last week. So you may know that the Biden administration did put a temporary freeze on all new federal programs pending a agency review of all of those programs. This is a very common move uh, used when administrations change hands. So this actually is something that has happened before. Um, but there have been a lot of rumors floating around, and I just want to go ahead and hit this head on. A lot of people are really concerned that because they've frozen the program, that no, we are no longer going to receive CFAP payments. And I have been on the phone with the American Farm Bureau. I've talked with USDA as well as our congressional colleagues in Washington, and they have all assured me that this is just a temporary freeze, that the program will resume as expected. So if you're waiting on a payment to be issued, issued, uh, you should still be able to get that payment once the program is unfrozen. In the meantime, 
please, please go ahead. If you are needing to apply for the CFAP program, um, you can submit those applications to your local FSA office through February 26th. So please go ahead. They are still accepting the applications. If you are a contract poultry or hog grower in particular, you may not have been eligible for the program prior to December, but American Farm Bureau and our state farm bureaus, we really went to bat for contract growers because they were initially left out of the program. And we're proud to say that they were included in the last little bit of, um, of passing that new iteration of that program. So I'd be happy to answer any questions. Again, you can type it in the Q&A uh, or type it in the comments on Facebook. Real quickly before I turn it over to Leslie, uh, we are monitoring very closely the situation with trade. Of course, trade was a very, very strong priority of the Trump administration, and we saw a lot of movements with the China phase one deal and other potential new markets. Uh, it still remains to be seen how the Biden administration will handle uh, new trade policy. At this time, there have been no changes made to the China phase one deal. My understanding with the most recent data is that uh, purchases that China has made under the deal are higher than previous uh, records set, but they still were not quite up to the levels that were set forth in phase one. Um, so we're going to continue to take a look at that. We're still monitoring implementation of USMCA, particularly in the dairy sector, uh, with Canada's uh, need to relax their domestic dairy program. So we're staying on top of that. The last thing I'll mention is livestock market structures and concentration, uh, which as many of you who are in the livestock industry know, has been a huge problem dating all the way back with, it's really been a long time, but in the recent past, the Holcomb plant fire in August of 2019, followed by the pandemic. Um, we've known there have been problems existing in the structure of those markets for a long time, uh, particularly dealing with concentration. Uh, but we certainly saw record volatility following both of those events I mentioned. So at our annual meeting, like Garrett mentioned, in that on block of resolutions, Missouri Farm Bureau voting delegates did approve some changes to our policy uh, that will allow us to advocate for more transparency in the marketplace, particularly in the beef sector, as well as at the American Farm Bureau annual meeting in mid-January, Voting delegates also approved similar policy, some of which was carried forward by President Hawkins through the process. So uh, we're looking forward to working with our federal partners to implement those changes. And those are kind of the things we see on the horizon. Uh, we're certainly keeping a close eye on a lot of the proposals that are coming out. Um, I know Leslie has a lot of uh, interesting insight on the regulatory front. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Leslie Holloway, Senior Director of Regulatory Affairs. Thanks a lot, Spencer. Well, to no one's surprise, right out of the gate, the Biden administration has addressed climate change. And I'm going to talk about the two executive orders, the primary ones that have come out within the first two weeks. Uh, week one, day one, he came out with the, the executive order entitled Protecting Public Health and the Environment and Restoring Science to Tackle the Climate Crisis. Um, the highlights of that executive order are shown on the screen and WOTUS and Clean Power Plan are featured prominently in those that are targeted for immediate review. There hasn't been any specific action taken yet, but we are not surprised to see those on the list. Um, the other items as well are included in that first executive order. Going to the second executive order, week two, um, week two, they designated one day as climate day and rolled out an executive order as well as other executive actions. This executive order is entitled Taking the Climate Crisis at Home 
and abroad, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. The uh, climate National Climate Advisor is, a, is an addition to the Domestic Policy Council, and uh, we are going to see action both domestically and internationally um, on climate change. The goals are identified there. I'd like to focus on that second goal, conserving at least 30% of the nation's land and waters by 2030. That's where the Secretary of Agriculture is directly asked to get public input on things that the Department of Agriculture can do, how to target funding for things like voluntary adoption of climate smart agricultural and forestry practices, uh, to result in verifiable carbon reductions and sequestrations, as well as sourcing sustainable bioproducts and fuels. We know agriculture will be heavily involved and will be prepared to be involved in that. The quote there you see is from President Biden when he signed the executive order, a specific reference to farmers. We see farmers making American agriculture first in the world to achieve net zero emissions and gaining new sources of income in the process. Lastly, on that screen, I'd highlight the key phrases in both of those executive orders um, that appeared numerous times. Well-paying union jobs or union jobs appeared 11 times in those two executive orders and environmental justice appeared 14 times. Pretty clear uh, where that emphasis is going to be. And that environmental justice component um, includes, as specified in the executive order, targeting 40% of overall benefits to disadvantaged communities for things like clean energy, housing, workforce training and development. All of these things are very worrisome, clearly, no doubt about it. And uh, Garrett's reference to being resilient and ready um, certainly applies here. But two things that we can keep in mind that uh, we will work to our benefit. The slow pace of the rulemaking process that worked against us during the Trump administration because it took so long for many of those reforms to be put into place. Now it actually works in our benefit because that same process will have to be followed during the Biden administration. Secondly, the judicial appointments that came about during the Trump administration, those should help uh, at least get us a foot in the door when it comes to discussions of this nature. I'd like to wrap up just talking briefly about three state level matters. Missouri Department of Transportation is updating the state freight and rail uh, plan. Um, many of you, thank, thank you, responded to a request for recommendations on roadways within your counties that are priorities and those have been submitted to MoDOT. So we'll be continuing to participate in that process and looking for more input as we go. Secondly, Department of Conservation is updating their deer plan. Uh, this is what they call a midterm review um, you may recall in December of 2015, when President Hearst presented the following policy language uh, to the Missouri Conservation Commission, we oppose the department's plan to increase deer numbers starting with the 2016-2017 hunting season. Following that, we were invited to participate in what conservation calls their landowner survey. And what we found, as we expected, was that there were disparities in the responses from the landowners that we surveyed from our membership compared to the landowners that Department of Conservation surveyed from uh, the people that they selected. So we will be looking to make sure that we get that production agriculture input on this deer plan once again. Lastly, the Department of Natural Resources impaired waters list. Uh, in December, EPA proposed adding 40 Missouri lakes to this list, which already included 98 uh, designated as impaired. 
You may recall that we adopted new nutrient criteria for water quality standards that was as a result of a lawsuit filed by the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. The coalition has now taken EPA to court uh, in an attempt to overturn our water quality standards for nutrients. And Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is defending Missouri's nutrient criteria as an intervener in the lawsuit. Missouri Farm Bureau is working with the other ag organizations and other groups um, to involve the congressional delegation and oppose this proposal by EPA. And that covers the issues I had. So we'll go to BJ for the state legislative update. Well, I, I giggled a little at Spencer for leaving hers on mute and then did the same thing there. Uh, thank you, Leslie. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. It's, it's uh, fun to be able to share this information, even though I can't see everybody and sure hope we can get back to that normal soon. Um, in Jefferson City, things are really, um, oddly enough, starting to feel normal. I would say the last couple of weeks as Jefferson City politics have been, there's been a little bit of drama. There's been a few late nights. Um, but there's actually been some legislative activity happening. After a few slow weeks as we were beginning the start of a new session with a whole lot of new legislators. Uh, coming into this session as we're about a month in, um, there's been a lot of opportunity for people to lay out their priorities. Uh, looking at House and Senate leadership priorities, top of the line is probably COVID liability reform. Um, this is a bill looking to protect businesses that have been doing the right things and doing everything they can to it to keep uh, employees and and um, visitors comfortable and safe, uh, keeping them from being subject to frivolous lawsuits. Um, education reform is another topic um, that has been getting a lot of attention um, early in session. This is something looking at, especially with the way schools have been dealing with the coronavirus and that different schools have done different things. I think that's invigorated this conversation of education reform. Uh, foster care support is something that the House leader, Rob Viscovo, the Speaker of the House, came out and said that he's interested in and wants to make sure we're supporting those families. And then transportation funding. This is something that we've been interested in for some time. Obviously, you've seen it on our list of priorities for years. Um, and Senate leadership, including Senator Schatz, the president pro tem of the Senate, wants to make sure that before he leaves the Senate that we do something to address long-term funding for transportation in our state. So those are a few of the things you've seen uh, lined out from House and Senate leadership. Uh, one that's not on this list is looking at county health or county ordinances related to COVID reliability, COVID, um, the situation, and they're looking at what can they do to make sure that those have the proper oversight and that health boards aren't going too far with some of the restrictions they put in place. During his state of the state address, the governor had the opportunity to line out his priorities, and those were largely similar. They included COVID liability reform, but a few of the others included workforce development, public safety, education, and infrastructure. If you've been following Governor Parson for some time, he's a friend of Farm Bureau, but these are a lot of the same issues we've seen them working on for some time. Making sure that we have people ready for jobs that become available, that we have a strong education system and supporting uh, law enforcement and making sure that public safety is trained correctly doing their job and that we're supporting them in the ways they need to. And as we know on the infrastructure front, Governor Parson has been a supporter of transportation and broadband for some time and we appreciate his efforts on that front. Um, he also released his budget, which we'll talk about here in just a second, um, and showed some of those issues as well. MOFB came into session looking at some of our roots as far as our priorities go. These are things we've talked about again for a while now, uh, but that top of the line is property rights. When it comes to property rights issues, we're ranging from everything from the impact of feral hogs on landowners across Southern Missouri, 
uh, to eminent domain reform and still trying to talk about making sure that eminent domain is only used as an issue of last resort and that we're not using it for things like merchant transmission lines looking to profit off of taking land at the lowest, lowest value possible. And then infrastructure. When Farm Bureau talks about infrastructure, this includes things like transportation funding as well as broadband. Uh, for some time, you've heard us talk about broadband funding across the state of Missouri and looking to make sure we're making connections. Now, this is something we've seen great successes in lately. Since the first time just several years ago, Missouri Farm Bureau brought broadband advocates together right here at our home office. Uh, we've seen major strides between starting an office of broadband, hiring a director, a state director of broadband, and then actually rolling out the grant program that Missouri Farm Bureau helped to form. We've seen some strides in that as well. And then last on our on our priorities list there is supporting a strong agriculture across the state of Missouri. This includes things from supporting a biodiesel standard across the state and making sure that we're keeping our fuel right here in the state and growing some fuel right here from the state, as well as supporting a strong department of agriculture, making sure our MASBITA programs and our private pesticide applicator training programs continue to be able to serve farmers into the future. So we've been working on these things for some time and continuing to see advancement in that. And I think we'll see major movement on those. We were excited to see when the governor lined out his budget um, that he had some highlights that included Missouri Farm Bureau priorities there. He had $5 million uh, to go towards um, the broadband grant program. That's great. That will continue the momentum. It's not a huge increase, but we're glad to see that funding is still there. And also included some one-time funding for the private pesticide applicator training program to make sure that we're able to continue to serve farmers. There's lots of details that I don't have time to get into, but we wanna make sure that these legislative briefing series are, are consumable for everyone. So if you have any questions, either, either log in now and share those with us, or feel free to reach out to each one of us individually, and we'd be happy to follow up with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis to make sure we're covering the things that are on your mind if you have any that are still hanging out there. With that, I'll hand it back over to Eric Bolt. All right, thank you guys. Great job covering all those items um, in a quick manner and we have a lot of time that we can spend for Q&A. If anyone has questions, again, there are three ways to ask your questions. If you're on Zoom, you can put it in the Q&A box or if you're on Facebook Live, you can just put a comment below the video. Um, and if you are on the telephone and uh, just listening in, you can text us at 573-326-4501. And uh, we have a great uh, crowd today. We have about 100 people that have been on here with us today. So um, for the first time doing this, we're really pleased with that. Um, glad to have you in this virtual setting. Wish it could be in person. Um, but yeah, let me click over to the gallery here. And we have several questions that have come in. Um, we'll start off. We have a question that came from the boot heel from Barry Bean. And he asks if there will be um, initiative petition reform in 2021. BJ, you want to take that one? Well, I'll give, uh, I'll, I'll let President Hawkins uh, weigh in on this a little bit too, because it's something that's been on our mind. Uh, but uh, Barry, don't be surprised if in just the next couple of weeks, you hear a lot of activity surrounding initiative petition reform. Actually, yesterday in the Senate uh, local government committee, we actually had a hearing about allowing for a filing fee. That's just one step in the process. But over the next couple of weeks, I do think you will hear IP reform being a large, a large piece of the conversation. Um, and it is something Missouri Farm Bureau largely sees. We've seen a lot of abuses of the IP process, and we think that it's right to rein that in somewhat so that we don't become a direct democracy. That wasn't the intention for our constitution to be able to be amended at any time. 
Uh, with that, I'll hand it over to uh, President Hawkins. I uh, think BJ, you, you did well uh, covering it. I just say, you know, through the years, you Farm Bureau members collectively have have made some pretty great policy in the book that really covers uh, this issue and gives us, I think, some direction as to how we engage with our state legislators and, and officials. So uh, we are a part of these conversations and, and certainly trying to try to find a way that we can move this forward. You know, this is one of those issues that I see as fundamental or foundational in terms of how do we get back to a, a, a better place in some instances or a voice of reason and common sense. And, and certainly initiative petition reform is one of those that I think is is just a great one that uh, for who we are and how we've participated in the process in the past, it just makes sense that we have a seat at the table based on our policy. All right, we'll move to the next question. Um, Kalina Bruce from Cedar County has a couple of questions. We'll start with um, the first one she asked is, BJ, is there any update on late filing penalties imposed by the state auditor's office on political subdivisions? Yes, um, Kalina, that was something uh, we brought to the attention, I think it was right before the new year. Um, and I do know the governor's office um, was, was of the impression that there was a legislator who was looking at legislation to put a permanent fix on this. This was an issue that had an impact on political subdivisions that had to go through audits and the time frame just didn't seem reasonable to those that were being impacted. Um, so yes, I do think we're working on a fix for that. I have not seen that bill, but I will pay more. I, I will dig into it and I'll get with you with the specifics of it. But I was under the impression from the governor's office that this was something they wanted to address and I think will be done. All right. Then the second question she had is uh, why the huge negativity surrounding HB 506? What, in your opinion, needs to be updated to gather the support needed to get a bill passed that limits foreign-owned farmland? Yes, uh, appreciate the question. This one's not quite as easy as the last one. Uh, 506 puts in, uh, puts uh, constraints on the, the ability of foreign ownership in the state of Missouri. Missouri Farm Bureau has policy in support of limiting foreign ownership and have for some time, including not too long ago, said we didn't agree with any foreign ownership. Um, and, and Representative Roan's bill would limit it to 1%, but it says not just 1% for the whole state, but 1% by county. Um, and so you didn't see a disproportionate impact in certain areas of the state. Uh, Farm Bureau did testify in favor of that bill. Um, unfortunately, there's several other groups that don't have the same position regarding foreign ownership as we do. Uh, some of the ag industries, let's be honest, are more impacted by foreign ownership than, than we see it. And when you look at the industry as a whole, as I testified in that hearing, it's not one entity that starts to grow the ire. It's when you look at the, the total impact of foreign ownership, that is when you really see the impact overall. And I think that's the perspective we have to keep talking to folks about, is it's not company X being owned by, by, by country Y, it's the fact that if you look at the whole, how much control could a foreign entity have? And I think that's the direction we're gonna to have to come at when we start talking about these things. I think it's something that the citizens would like to see addressed, um, but we're gonna keep pounding that drum and talking about it in the house. I know it's something uh, the representative Rome would like to see addressed. Great. All right, Leslie and Spencer, we've got one for you. Um, Katie Fenewald from Southeast Missouri has uh, a question that is a broad one, but very, very impactful on everybody across the state. 
Um, could you please provide us an update on the status of WOTUS? I guess I'll start, Spencer, if you want to add in. Um, we know that WOTUS and actually the Navigable Waters Protection Rule is, is what was put into place uh, to replace WOTUS when the Trump administration um, revoked WOTUS. And so we will be working to try to keep as much of that navigable, navigable waters protection rule in place as possible. We do know that the new EPA administrator is someone who our North Carolina Farm Bureau um, has worked with in the past. And we're hearing uh, from other sources as well that he is someone who listens to all views. So we will certainly be trying to uh, make our views known. American Farm Bureau, I know, is already um, in direct contact with uh, the, the administrator's office, as well as many of the other new cabinet officials. So all of those lines of communication that we have used in the past, we will continue to try to use to make the views uh, of our members and our concerns known. And, and it's likely to involve court action. I think almost every regulatory proposal anymore does involve some sort of litigation. So we are prepared, I know, at the national level to um, be involved in that way as well. Yeah, Leslie, I think you've covered it well. I would just add that yesterday, Michael Regan, who is the administrator designate of the EPA, had his hearing in the United States Senate and this topic did come up. Uh, it does sound like we are in for um, a, a retry on some of these issues. And so we have been working uh, to communicate, especially with our congressional delegation, who are really important allies in this discussion, uh, to hold the line on a lot of the regulatory achievements that we achieved in the last administration. All right, thank you, Leslie and Spencer. Um, if there are any more questions, uh, please feel free to uh, write those in the comments or in the uh, Q&A section. Uh, we have one more here from John Estes over in Gascony County. And he says, there has been some talk about the Biden administration eliminating the stepped up basis, which will hurt the ability of the farm family farm staying in the family. Any news on this? And that's actually the issue I was going to bring up if no one else brought up any questions. Um, so who would like to, to take that one on? I can go and then Garrett might have some additional insight. Uh, yeah, John, we have heard the same thing. Um, we've actually heard that all of the tax provisions that were passed in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 may be in jeopardy. And stepped up basis is a big one. It's something we have clear policy on at a state level and at the federal level. Uh, stepped up basis has been a priority for American Farm Bureau. When I first came to Farm Bureau three and a half years ago, we were right in the middle of negotiating the new tax deal. And this was absolutely the line in the sand as far as it goes for farmers and ranchers. So um, there are a lot of proposals floating out there. I'm not aware that any specific bill text has been filed to change stepped up basis, uh, but I know that it is something that is being talked about quite a bit. Um, we will certainly continue to monitor that situation. I do think, you know, we were very effective and, and always have been very effective at communicating the importance of this particular issue uh, when it comes to tax reform. So uh, we will continue to do that. But yes, that is on our radar for sure. Uh, Mr. Hawkins. Uh, John, I would say this, this is yet another example uh, among many of 
Farm Bureau achieves policy success, right? And we think we have certainty and then elections have consequences and you see all of a sudden that the pendulum may be shifting back the other direction. And so add this to the list of things that we are monitoring very closely, engaging, um, and we're gonna play strong defense, but that strong defense comes as a result of members just like you who are gonna tell their stories to the delegation and help them arm themselves uh, with the right information to be able to effectively engage in these discussions. So it's, it's just gonna be interesting the next few weeks and months. And you know, Leslie and I have talked a lot about this and the team as a whole. If we learned anything from the Obama administration is that Farm Bureau can be extremely effective at, at grassroots engagement and playing defense and positively impacting um, policy, even in an environment that, uh, that can be challenging. And so we fully expect to take the lessons that we learned during those eight years and apply those during, during this time as well. And know that grassroots engagement is gonna be absolutely critical to, to holding the line and actually making progress. All right. Um, I'll just add to that. If anyone has, has any more questions, please put those in. Um, and yeah, I'll also add that this is a great example of how important it is to get things passed through legislation when possible, because as you'll see um, from, from the discussion we just had, it's going to be a lot easier for President Biden to try to undo some of the things that were done by executive order in the Trump administration than it will be to change the uh, tax provisions of the law that were passed in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So that's why it's so important to push hard to get our priorities through when we have the opportunity um, in the in the Congress and legislature. I believe that's all the questions that we have. If you have any future questions or didn't want to ask them here on the um, on the webinar, feel free to reach out to any of us individually. We're always happy to answer your questions, take your telephone calls, uh, respond to your emails. So please don't hesitate to do that anytime. Uh, we're going to be having more of these in the series and keep a, keep an eye on your newsletter and your email inbox and our social media pages as well for more information about when the next will, next one will be happening. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that to you in the next few days. But uh, I will turn it over to President Hawkins to wrap us up. Well, thank you to Eric and the entire legislative team for their work and in preparing and carrying out this 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 uh, series. Uh, thank you to all of you for tuning in. Uh, I hope it's something that you found useful today, whether you're at home grabbing lunch and heading back outside, wherever you are. Thank you. <clears throat> excuse me for for tuning in. Uh, again, stay engaged. Please tell uh, other Farm Bureau members about this opportunity. And again, we are determined. Uh, to, to get back to normal as soon as we can. So in the meantime, keep the faith and go Chiefs. See you later.